your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host, Matthew, and not like usual, we're not in my studio. There are tons of people here. What the hell is going on? It's a basement, Matt. <laughs> it is a basement. It actually is a basement. It's full of cats. And I have my two co's here, Ryan hey. and Scott. Indeed. And unlike always, I have three other co's here today. I have Jamison of the uh, Dungeons and Randomness podcast. Hey. Hi. <laughs> uh, oh, give me the cheek. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> he totally, totally uh, messed up. up. Messed up, but we can't. We can't. I got, from the Bosch Podcast, I got Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, from the Pokemon Go Podcast, I've got Joe. Yes, I am the weird one of the group. It's okay. Yeah, they have to share mics, unfortunately. There's a nice element to it. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for showing up this early. Um, just so you know what we are, we are a role-playing discussion podcast. That means we don't talk about one specific game like D&D or Vampire or anything like that. We talk about the culture of role-playing. And in this specific episode, we are going to talk about how sort of best practices in our minds how to run, get started and run a role-playing campaign. Who here is role-play before? Raise your hand. Hell yeah! Nerds! Nerds! But before we get into the nitty and gritty of it, I have to do a little Dragon Con business before we start, so please bear with me. Uh, the official charity this year of DragonCon 2019 is the American Heart Association. DragonCon will match up to $100,000 raised during the con. If you donate to the box, we don't have a box, so you have to text. Text to AHA2019 to 44321. And that will, uh, that will let you electronically transfer funds to the donation. And again, DragonCon will match up to $100,000. So this is a good, good charity. Do it. Get on your phones. All right. Um, all right. Then that was the straight bit of business. We'll do the rest at the end. Sure. Let's get into it, shall we? We don't have any news because, well, we're at DragonCon, everyone. Whee! You know <laughs> uh, all right. Let's go. I've got our, uh, uh, again, raffle at the end. If you're not here and I pull your name, you're not going to get anything. All right. So we've all run a role-playing game. A lot of us here, everyone raised their hands. But how many people raise your hands to have ran a role-playing game for other people. Ooh, pretty good, pretty good. About about half, you would say half? You're all noble souls. It is a terrible, <laughs> wonderful task that you've taken upon yourselves, and yes. you're a better person for doing it. Yes, yes. You, well, uh, Some people would say in our friends group, you are doing God's work, as it were. <laughs> uh, and so we're going to start we'll slowly talk about what we have done in our role-playing games to run games and best way to start out. Um, hey, Joe, over there. You've run a game before, right? I have. Yeah. All right. How did you get started? How? Where? Where did the idea come from for running a role playing campaign? Um, I ever since I was a teenager, I, teenager, I always had wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons, and I had a botched attempt uh, <laughs> when I was a teenager, um, and that fell apart real quick. And so I was just talking to a couple of people, and I was like, "Hey, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. We're going to get a group together." Who do we know? And so we just started circling around, got a group of, we ended up with like eight or nine people. A couple of people dropped off pretty quick. They only came to one session. But after that, we had a consistent group for about three years where we ran um, two different modules. We ran um, the uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver and uh, brought that into a highly modified version of Princes of the Apocalypse. 
And so we ran that for, for three years until we, we finished that. And it was a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. So you just did like set adventures at that time. Yes. Okay. You didn't even do your own homebrew type stuff. No, uh, which is what I'm working on now is with my family is we're doing a homebrew. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. What about you, Dennis? Where did you get the initial idea? Uh, well, I started playing D&D in high school. We did 4E, which I know everybody hates 4E, but that's the first one I'm used to, so I don't mind it too much. Yeah, it was, uh, there's some low-key 4E guys out there. Yeah. No, then, I had to start somewhere. <laughs> and then in uh, college, I started uh, experimenting with uh, DMing itself. That was a horrible, horrible failure. <laughs> and then um, at, way after college, like maybe six years ago, somebody... Asked me to DM, and I, I started. I've, I've only ever done homebrew stuff. I don't do pre-made campaigns or anything like that. It's not my thing. Um, so yeah. So and then that sort of turned into a podcast, and here I am. So. <laughs> and what about you, Jimson? Uh, so I started playing in high school, like everybody, I guess. Uh, and uh, I was the one in, in, who first found a, uh, the box beginner set for D and D three point oh, and uh, brought it home, and nobody was interested. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to read this book, and then I'm going to find somebody who's going to play. And I got my little brother to play and all his friends. <laughs> and uh, because I was the one who had read all the rules, I was the one who ran the game. Uh, and it was a module. And they quickly went off the rails, and I threw the module over my shoulder and started to learn how to imp- improvise uh, immediately. <laughs> and, uh, and that game uh, kind of ballooned into an entire like homebrew world and all that kind of thing. So you start with the module and then quickly abandon it. All right, so you inducted your little brother into a small cult, basically. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're going to play D&D. You're going to yeah, play. I took that from him. <laughs> Ryan, what about you? Where did you get started running games? Oh, well, I was a pl- I'm mostly a player, actually. I don't, I don't do that filthy work. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I have run many games uh, in my, like, college years, but I got started when I was in... Uh, like late middle school, early high school, but it was Star it was Star Wars, guys. I'm sorry, I didn't start with D and D. I played Star Wars D twenty, guys. I don't know. It's okay. I like Star Wars. It was great. Um, Jedi are broken, of course, <laughs> always. But yeah, I, I ran a four E game for a, for a couple of years. That was my own. Uh, it was Forgotten Realms. I, I don't home brew my own worlds. I'm not that creative. Um, and oh man, never hit the deck. Do we do we have a do we have a bomb drop soundboard? <laughs> I, wish, I sure hope so. Uh, I will request one next year. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I can also hear any whisper that happens in this entire room. So you are being monitored. You are yeah, being. You are being. Oh, we are on Dragon Con TV, everyone. So just let everybody know. Well, potentially. Lie potentially. To Lie to them. Lie. <laughs> and Scott, where did you get started? Oh yeah, so I got started in the high school. Uh, started off playing mostly, but then quickly caught the bug. Mostly, it has been White Wolf, World of Darkness, and their various uh, games. Uh, it took. 26 years to run a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, uh, which was about a couple months ago. I ran a game and it was all right. Um, <laughs> Pulling teeth, this man. I've known him for quite a while. Well, Pulling teeth, be like, hey, you want to play DD? Yeah. Uh, well, my, my my wife wanted me to do it, so you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but and also you know ran LARPs, uh, ran digital games. It's it's a whole thing. I love the crap out of it, and uh, it's kind of my. Kind of yeah, he, 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 of our friend group because uh, Ryan's kind of my normal co-host. Uh, 
they're good friends of mine. And so Ryan is very much the player and Scott is very much the GM. I'm somewhere in the middle where I got started was played for a very long time. I ran a really long seven year exalted second edition campaign. Oh my God. Oh my God. It was basically all of college. Um, and then I have, I've been running things here and there, but trying to get back into it. But I really discovered recently that I'm probably more of a player than I am a GM. And that's perfectly okay. Not everyone can be everything. So let me put that out there. Um, now that we have a little basis of where we're all at, let's get into it. So we all want to run a game, uh, either because we're the only person willing to run, which is very common, or we have an idea. But where do we start, guys? Where do we want to go from there? Um, well, I think I generally start in the shower, uh, and an idea comes to me, and then it grows, and it grows much like a tumor, um, and eventually I have to undergo the chemotherapy of running it, uh, and then it gets out of me, and with, then... With all the bleeding and hair loss. This panel got too real. But yeah, no, it, it's generally either, you know, I get in my inspiration from any number of sources, um... I just have that kind of brain that will map any idea into a role-playing campaign uh, eventually. Um, and, yeah, I generally go from there. Um, I don't tend to run out of modules. Uh, they are good starting places, in my opinion. They, they, you know, they give you kind of an idea of the, the shape of the world and the sort of things that happen in them. But more often than not, I will use that as a jumping-off point. Uh, like, my Exalted game that I ran for a while, uh, it was loosely based on the big... Um, uh, end-of-the-world book that they released uh, at the end of second edition. Mm -hmm. uh, but it actually just told it. It was it was basically a concurrent story with the, the events of those games. Uh, so the things were happening, but the players were doing something else. Uh, and yeah, it's just generally, that's where things start for me. Yeah, um, yeah, that game was like, what, uh, like uh, not Babylon 5. It was Battlestar Galactic. Yeah, Battlestar Galactic. Yeah. That's basically what happened in Exalted. Um, yeah, and for me, I get my ideas is just I have to get inspired. I just have to be like in the shower, like reading something. That's a, another really good trick is like, if you do a lot of reading, like a lot of novels and stuff, you're like, oh, that'd be really cool to do in my game. And then you want to go do it. Okay, that's a good jumping off point. What about you guys? What's a good jumping off point? Where do you get your inspiration from? Uh, really, it just comes down to being like, you know what I haven't done in a while is anything social, so I'm going to run a game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, Dark truth. Yeah, so, you know, uh, a lot of times it comes from being like, hey, you know what, I, I really want to play Shadowrun. I'm the only one who knows who's willing to run a Shadowrun game, so let me, oh, bless you, let me sir, find my way. group of people who can play that game, and I, I guess I'm running something. So it's, <laughs> it's, I, I guess desperation is what I'm saying. It's just panic and desperation. Uh, Dennis? What about you? Uh, really, it just depends on whatever I have uh, hankering for at the moment. I don't. I mean, I, I do the standard D and D stuff for uh, one of the, the games that we play, but I like doing. I like taking the rule set of D and D and then sticking it in other universes, like space exploration or western. Or right now, the show's doing a 1932 New York Cthulhu sort of thing. So it, it just really depends on whatever I feel like doing at that particular mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. so, and what about you, Mr. Joe? You're working on homebrew, so you probably have some raw experience about this. Yeah, So, and also being the weirdo that actually uses modules, um, I just want to say, if you are planning on using a module, because that is an easily accessible way to get inspiration, because a lot of it's right there, don't be afraid to homebrew as much of that as you want to, to customize it to your party's needs. Um, take into account 
well, homebrew or modules, regardless, take your players' feedback and incorporate that into your world. Um, don't feel... When I first started doing a homebrew, it felt very daunting feeling like I had to flush everything out, fill out get the whole world ready, when in reality, what, what I needed to do was just create the concept, pitch the concept to my players, and let them flush out the different areas where they wanted their characters to be from. Let them say, okay, this is a, an island of ASMRs, and this is their backstory, and this is how they fit into the world. These are the major towns. These are their import. And get that feedback. Not only does it help you flush out the world, but it gets your players invested in the world that they are helping to create. Oh, that's that's extremely good advice because here's the thing, just like a movie or television show, when you're running a game, they are only seeing what you want to show them. They they are the if you try to do everything, a lot of new GMs do it, just like Joe said, they try to flesh out everything, you could most of your game could there's entire NPCs in cities that they never encounter ever. And that one NPC you're like, This is a cool guy, they're gonna really like this guy. They kill him in two minutes. <laughs> and, that's another thing is, is you know, if you think about it, a role-playing campaign as a movie or as a novel, you know, it's the main characters. The main characters are the foundation of the game, re- regardless of where it's set, regardless of you know what's going on. Uh, the players are the main focus of the game, or at least that's my philosophy. Um, and you know, the idea of you know you can do it, in my opinion, one of two ways. You can either uh, you know, like uh, like he mentioned, throw out the pitch and then let them make characters based off that. Or if you have less of a concrete idea, just say, we're playing X game, make a character. And then when you see the characters that you have, build the game around them mm-hmm. uh, is another strategy that you can go off. Or a hybrid strategy of the two, two, two ways of doing it. Uh, and that way, uh, that's the best practice as far as I'm concerned, because you keep the story and the focus on the players, their actions, their stories. And then whatever you've got going on, you fit it around them. Uh, that's yeah, and it's very true. Um, so some of the other things that we should talk about when we run a game is uh, sort of your role. So you've already come up with an idea, and your players are like, ah, oh, we want to play D&D, and they want to learn to make these characters. Like, well, now you got to manage these small kittens that are running around doing all kinds of stuff, uh, and you got to harangle them. So be willing to have a little bit of authority. That's Kitten part of superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's no more true than an exalted. Oh, my God. Uh, but... These guys are going to do stuff. You're going to have to do what they said. You have their improv. You're going to have to throw things out, uh, things that you didn't work. Like, oh, I want them to go there. Well, they haven't seen what's in your head, so feel free to just take it, ball it up, and throw it in the trash, and then build something new. Because you'll never guess where they go. They'll always try something new and weird. Or, instead of throwing it out, put it on the shelf and just put it in a different location later. Yeah, we it. Yeah, the toolbox method. Uh, ooh, good thing you brought uh, reskinning. Do that with monsters. So uh, I listen to a whole bunch of like actual plays, and a lot of the time the GM's like, "Yeah, I'll throw a monster out." It's actually like a normal monster you would see in the game, but he calls it. It, lo- it looks different, and he calls it something different. Feel free to use it's already published, just like modules for monsters or challenges or encounters to be like, "Nope, this is just easy for me to do. Let me just grab this guy." Say he's got some other. He looks a little different. It acts a different way, but mechanically. He works exactly the same, and they don't know any difference. Yeah, because theoretically, there's been a lot of playtesting and rule balancing around that guy, so why the hell not? Theoretically. You know, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Yes, true. 
Um, yeah, uh, those are that's a couple little like tips and tricks. What else should we talk about concerning building a role playing campaign? Uh, what do you want to talk about? Beginning, middle, and end. Sure, why not? Um, I mean. Yeah, beginning, middle, and end is, you know, that's the general story structure of, of anything. Uh, so it, it really depends. Like, are you going to be running an open-ended campaign where there is no set uh, ending and they're just going to be 20-year-olds adventuring around the world forever? Uh, or do you have an ending in mind? That's uh, You really should think about that when you're starting out. It should end. It should end, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Uh, um, at least... I, I find that more more interesting is to to have a story that that has some structure to it uh, that that's more satisfying at least when I'm playing and running. Um, of course, you know if it's a more casual game, running and running heroes forever is a thing to do. Uh, if it's just what you do on a Saturday night when no one else has a concert or something. Um, but yeah, thinking thinking about the beginning, middle, end of your story when you start out can be very valuable, which is not to say that the beginning, middle, and end of your story is going to look anything like what you have in your head, uh, <laughs> because the players will enhance it. Pick Let's three beats. I like, yeah. I like it. Hits. Pick I like, like three things you had in your head. Those can stay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, think about your best, your favorite television show, or that's a good example, like it, it hopefully ended unless it's still going on, but it had it, one of the ones you remember that had a really good ending, like, oh, Breaking Bad. That had a really good beginning, middle, end. You knew the arc of the character, that kind of stuff, where you can really, while they may have written it week by week, they at least had a good guideline of where they wanted to go and how they wanted to end, because that structure will feed into the play of your players, and they'll feel like they're invested. Because if there's just meandering and random stuff's happening, that's cool. That can be fun. But some people, at least from my personal experiences, a lot of them want to hook onto something. Especially I do. I want to be like, oh, this cool thing that's part of my character, this is in the game, and I want to continue it on. Uh, a good example of that is in our Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Game. I was about to mention it. Yeah. You, you demand it. I, I kind of demand it because I'm playing a dwarf, and Andrew, uh, our, our GM, is like, yeah, um, there's dwarf stuff. There's lots of dwarf stuff. Oh, that family ring that you you told about, like at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that's totally connected to this, even though it's probably not in the published material. He's making that up and helping me keep connected to the game, so it's not just dungeon crawl, monster, kill monsters, get loot, that kind of stuff. The, the, the rest of us are, are just fine with that that yeah. thing he just said. Yeah. I mean, my character's catchphrase is loot? <laughs> Question mark. So, uh, what about you guys? Beginning, middle, and end. Did you have a concept of like where you wanted to go and how you wanted to end it? It, it, it has changed for me over the years. So, for instance, we, we started doing a thing on our Patreon goal where we play with uh, some of our patrons. I took a campaign that I made 15 years ago. It is very different from how I do things now. It's all structured out. Like, everything was written like ding, 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 ding. I don't do that almost at all anymore. I, I put a lot of detail in the beginning because I know how it's going to start. But then it's basically sandboxed at that point because I play with a bunch of murder hobos. I bet your I bet your players. And also, Every backstory game. doesn't matter a ton because on our show they die a lot. Because hmm. uh, we have the house rule of if you roll a botch, I roll a d one hundred. If it's ninety five to one hundred, you're dead. Ooh, ninety good. to ninety five, I just take a limb. But <laughs> they botch a lot, which is why we're called botched. But um, so the beginning is very structured now. But then it's it's pretty much open. I know where I want it to go. So while I am improving most of the stuff around, I sort of give them enough carrots that I know that they would go for. It's like, okay, 
here's this thing over here, this little shiny object. They're like, ooh, it's a shiny object. And they go towards that. It's, it's kind of easy to corral the cats if you know what they're into. If you don't, then it's, it's really, there's no real right or wrong way to run it. I mean, if you want a big, long, giant campaign where your characters are your characters for like 15 years, hey, whatever you're into. If you want to have tiny little one-offs where we're just doing this one night, it's going to take three, four, six hours, and then we're never going to play these characters again, that's cool too. It really depends on your own personal style and also the players you're playing with. So, for instance, um, in our show, we, we call it a loose understanding of the rules because I don't care about the rules so much. If you make an argument and it makes sense, I'm fine with it. That's fine. But uh, one of the players on our show, he's very, very much into the rules. Like, these two squares, this is how far you can run in a day. Okay, well, then that means it takes two weeks to get to this point, and you're investigating murder. Screw that. You have a magic horse with 18 legs. I don't care. We're getting to the point of not spend six episodes on travel. I don't care. So it, it really depends on the group that you're playing with, because you have to find a group that is into the same thing you are. If you're a rules Nazi, and you have a bunch of people who are loosey-goosey, everyone will be miserable, and vice versa. You have to have a good mix, which is... An adventure in and of itself, trying to find that. That's so, very, very solid advice. I always say there is no right or wrong way to run it. Um, the one that I wrote 15 years ago that I'm running right now, which is almost painful for me to do because I am so loosey-goosey, I'm sitting there reading this and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking 15 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, that one has a very structured beginning, middle, end. The one we're doing on the show right now, very structured beginning. I have an idea of where I want it to go, but I'm letting the players sort of flesh out the world here and there, so... Again, no right or wrong way to do it, really. Joe, any advice? Um, yeah, so with my three-year campaign, it was module-based. And so I had a rough idea of where I wanted them to go. Um, the key was just letting them explore where they wanted to and realizing how to guide them back around full circle. Um, so giving them their, their plot quests and things like that. And um, I... Rolled for loot several times. I got a deck of many things. So we had a few side quests to, <laughs> to reclaim some stoles that got lost because of that. And so there, it, you know, craziness happens. Um, and it's just managing, really, it, it comes to managing expectations, uh, setting, setting uh, those goals and setting those uh, clear understandings with your players right off the bat. Um, you know, it's no fun to have one player that doesn't actually want to be with the group ever. That doesn't tend to go very well. And so establishing that, that having their characters have a reason to be with the group, I think, at least in my opinion, has always worked out best, having them establish a reason to be in their party, because if they're, if they're, I just want to kill them off if they don't, if they don't want to be with the party, to be honest. <laughs> so, so, yeah, my, my, my real quick, like, tip for that situation in particular, if you have a character, if you see that you have a PC that's I'm the loner character, demand that they have a deep personal connection to at least one other of the PCs. Yep. Demand, like, okay, you don't care about anyone, but pick one of these chuckleheads, and you care about them, otherwise we got to make another character. This isn't going to work. I mean, going to the cornerstone is not talking directly about campaigns, but more about role-playing in general. It's a social contract game. We're all here together nominally to be friends and to have a good time together, which means we need to figure out why we're together. That's why a lot of role-playing games nowadays, that's why I think D&D does very well, and a couple games are doing this now, which is why is everyone together? What is the cornerstone? Vampire 
Vampire Fifth Edition is a great example of this. Back in the day, they kind of had the concept of a coterie, but it really didn't come up very often. So everyone was playing like, I am a tragic lone vampire in the night. <laughs> Guess what? It doesn't make for good social dynamics with the group. So in V5, what they've done is they've added very strict and very cohesive concepts of coterie. You are a group. You are here banding together to survive night by night because things are a lot more hostile than they used to be. Also a codified Session Zero, which is one of our favorite things ever. Yeah, uh, we have an entire episode about Session Zero because we think it's one of the best concepts that we really start percolating out through all the games, which is come together, first session, which which builds on the whole, once you have a campaign, once you know what you want to play, and you know your players are interested, okay guys, we're all coming together, This, this is, then it turns over to expectation management. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, like, this is the game I want to run, and getting letting your players know these, this is the game we're getting into, but in return, GM, ST, whatever, this is what we expect from you. This is the type of game we would like to enjoy. Or, more, more specifically, this is the game me as a player want to experience. Do I want to have a character that's tragic, has a tragic end? It's like, okay, we'll work on that. That's fine. As long as everyone's on the same page, that's great. It's very important. That way, when you get into the game and weird stuff happens and people... That will cut down on, like, 80% of your arguments at the table. Almost all my arguments at gaming, either me as a GM or me as the player, have always come down about weird expectations. Like, hey, I thought you were going to be like this, but it was like this. And i like, no, it was going to be like this. This is with my head, but I didn't communicate to the player. That was a problem, wasn't it, Scott? Absolutely. Yeah, we've had we've had arguments. They were, they were not fun arguments, uh, but neither here nor there. So definitely, session zero coming together, having the players make the characters together, have them each talk to each other. Also, this is a great way for them to encourage like them getting excited about the game. They're like, oh, you have this backstory and you're this character. I'll play this. This will be cool, and we can have this sort of tit for tat thing. That's really cool. It gets everyone excited and everyone you know. So, uh, so from there, once you get the game going, you've been playing for a little while. You got things sort of, sort of ish, but you're hitting that middle in part. What are you going to start doing? Like your characters have experience, they're powerful, and now you have to manage them. What are some good ways to manage more experienced characters and more experienced players because they've been playing for a while? Beat them severely. Yeah, that too. Um, I just, uh, I think, especially when people get more and more powerful uh, and they have more and more things at their disposal, um, managing every player's niche is very important. Um, Because when you can do a dozen things competently uh, and all the other people at the table can do those dozen things competently, you really need to spend some time focusing on the one thing that each character is super good at making that key and integral and giving everyone a moment to shine and do their thing uh, is super important uh, because that's what drives engagement, that what keep, keeps people having fun is that their character does the thing that they're super good at and no one else is stepping on those toes. That gives everyone sort of the um, uh, uh, yeah, the spotlight, the, the moment. The, uh, that's what it was, the war story. Gives yeah. every character the war story. Like, remember that time I did that one thing? Uh, additionally, um, at, that's the point where you might want to try the, the sort of the sharing of the GM's chair and letting people sort of dictate or describe uh, a bit more, have a bit more control over their narrative in a broader sense, especially as it's coming towards the end. 
uh, having a conversation uh, in and out of play about where is this going, where do you want this to, how, how do you want the end of your story to manifest itself uh, in, in the broader context. Um, having that conversation out of play as well as pl- letting it play out in play is pretty important uh, because, you know, if you if you have the luxury of bringing a role-playing game to an end, because good God, that doesn't happen very often, uh, at least in my experience, uh, you want everyone to think have really good memories of, well, this is how it ended, and I got pretty much what I wanted, and, and my character has sailed off into the sunset in a beautiful and interesting way. And if they have a little bit of say about that, if you can you know do the back and forth and negotiation about how that works with a greater story, then you're more likely to stick that landing. Uh, what about you guys over there, Joe, guys, uh, about handling like the more experienced plays and or like helping uh, bring those stories to a close? Yeah, so when you're finishing up a campaign, it almost always ends in a fight against the, the BBEG, the, the big bad evil guy. And uh, so you've got to build that encounter, and that can sometimes be a struggle because the players tend to get to uh, such a level that they can destroy one person on their own. So you have to build an encounter with multiple bad guys to accompany the big bad, as awesome as, as it would be for the players to just take on this massive guy by himself, you know, full Thanos style, but that's, at least in Dungeon Dragons 5th edition, they're just going to tear him apart, because as you're getting to the end of the game, your players are able to deal out just tons and tons of damage. Um, Jameson, I was wondering, on uh, Dungeons of Randomness, how do you go about building your encounters? So, uh, well, I don't run the game on Dungeons and Randomness. Uh, I'm I'm not brave enough for that. You're but, the victim. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the way that it runs on the show, and the way that I run my own games at home, uh, as far as dealing with more powerful players, more powerful characters, people who have been in that world for a while, is uh, consequences. The consequences for actions, consequences for decisions, make things difficult in ways other than the actual game mechanics. Because, um, you know, if you present players with a difficult choice, not only does it keep them invested, hopefully, but um, but it kind of puts the screws to them in ways other than just their hit points, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and uh, if somebody gets really... Uh, like, if you've got that one friend who always munchkins their character and uh, is completely overpowered compared to the rest of the party, make them, make them, give them challenges that aren't mechanical based. You know, mm-hmm. um, if somebody really struggles with mechanics, you have a new player. You know, you can get them involved and invest in it in a different way, which is through the consequences of the story itself. Mm-hmm. Good or bad consequences. Yeah, it absolutely. Doesn't, doesn't yeah, rewarding too. Yeah, yeah definitely. you reward them for good actions. If you want a certain type of play, that's another thing you do over the long term is go, okay, you can sort of help and nudge people in a better, if you want them to become a better role player, give, try to nudge them and give them more interesting role play encounters. This is where, even though backstory in some games may not be as important, if it is important in your game, you can use it to twist the knife and get them, poke them where you want them to go and get them and then reward them or give them consequences for the actions that they have taken and sort of bring it to a close. Uh, but a comment about Joe's thing about like the bad, the final battle with the big bad, a ticking clock is really good too. If you want to ratchet that tension up in the final battle, they have to do X in a certain amount of time, which will get the mechanical monkeys in the group like buzzing, like their entire head will start spinning about how they're going to do it in this amount of time while also all this other drama is going on. So it gives keeps them engaged. 
Um, that idea of having and having encounters that are specific for the character, but out of the out of the realm of battle. Um, there was a a session that I ran specifically a Halloween session where I asked all of the players to give me their character's greatest fear. And I made their characters embrace their greatest fear that they, they got trapped in a location where they couldn't leave until they went through each of them individually went through portals where they had to face their greatest fear. And based on how they role played that determined whether or not they got levels of insanity in the game, their character. And so it, that had nothing to do with the mechanics of their character, with the stats that they had, but it made for a very, very memorable session. And they, they all ended up thoroughly loving it. Yeah, you can well, tell totally. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So with, with our show anyways, the season doesn't go long enough where they're going to get like past level 10 or something like that, so I don't usually have to worry about them being like, too brokenly overpowered unless I let them do something homebrew and then don't double check what they do before. I <laughs> but um, the way that I mess with the players, because most of the monsters I do are just made up on the spot. I don't pull them out of the monster manual. Sometimes they might look like it, but I'll literally make up the stats and everything right there while I'm sitting just to kind of gauge what the difficulty should be. But most of the time, the way I make a, an encounter difficult is not through... Um, the characters themselves, but having to make the people playing it think about what they're doing. So, for instance, we had this character or this monster that they had to fight called a Doglin Terminator. A Doglin was like a half-dog, half-person sort of thing, and they murdered it, of course, because they're murder hobos, and they threw it down a, a mine shaft thinking, oh, no big deal. And then someone took them and fused it onto, like, a tank body. <laughs> so they are stupid. No. Even if it's a giant monster, they just run up to it and tank it until it's dead. Like, they have no strategy. So I said, okay. So Doglin Terminator rolls out. It starts shooting out gas. Do they move? No. They stay in it. And then they fall asleep. And then they get mad because, well, but I wanted to stand there and tank it. And I said, that's not how, this, that's not how it works. You can't just fight everything the exact same way. You have to come into it with different strategies. One person tries to stay really far away. Well, it has a missile pod. So now you have to think about it a little bit different. You have to constantly move. You can't stand in one spot. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I try and challenge the players by making them do things out of their comfort zone, but still utilizing their character's skills. Mm-hmm. And as far as ending it goes, like I said, I always have a rough idea of where I want it to go. So when I feel like the story's in a pretty good spot to stop, I'll start to engage the end of the story. And ours don't even always end with big bads. Uh, I think the last season ended with, basically they had to make a deal with the devil. Do we want to... Um, put off the end of the world for like 10 years or do we want to do with it right now and they, they're like oh, let's just put it off for 10 years no, that <laughs> it'll solve make, itself that will make yeah. it worse yeah. so yeah so it, it really depends on uh, your player set because if you're going way up into the higher levels like uh, 17, 18, 19, 20 consequences are going to be a big thing but then the other problem is well if they're level 20 what's a group of guards going to do to them probably not what I think um, get shot in the knee. Yeah. <laughs> so consequences is, is interesting because in the the last season we did, they were way too powerful, but they always feel like they should be the most powerful creatures in the entire universe, even if they're level seven. So they did their murder hobo things, got an entire town killed, and then sat there and waited for their reward. 
<laughs> from a guy who's level 18, fully decked out in magical items. And then when he said, no, I'm, I'm putting you all to death, you, you literally killed an entire town off. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why aren't we getting our reward? And then they're like, well, we're going to kill him. 25. Doesn't hit. Okay. And they just like, well, we'll we, we, we give us mercy. Give us mercy. And then they put in a prison camp or something like that. So. As a reformed murder hobo, <laughs> I have found that the uh, sometimes the talkie approach works pretty good, actually. The yeah. consequences of just not murdering people, like having a set of characters. Uh, our, our Waterdeep Dragon Heist game that Matt and I were in, we have made Andrew like take a swath of paper and go by like just grabbing a bunch of pages like, well... Not in that fight's not happening. That's, that's, <laughs> it's like it turns out intimidation and just logic sometimes will, you know, win the day. Win the day over just murdering people randomly in the middle of one hit point. Like cities in the world. <laughs> the other thing you could do is some dissension among the overpowered players. Oh no! Like it's a DM. It's like oh, I'm just gonna pass a note to this guy over here. Oh. I'll see what it is. That note could say, "This is just a note. Don't worry about it." But you're not allowed to tell anybody what it says. Do you, you like me? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little evil as a DM. So. Uh, I noticed that. Uh, just to point out for uh, Dennis over there, that's kind of high high end play. Only use caution when doing that because your your players out of play may start getting problematic to each other. But it can work if they're all your friends and everyone's on board with that sort of thing. So we're gonna go before we get to the Q and A. I got one last thing. Uh, so tools for running a game. Just one quick tip: a tool, not like a, a concept, but like a physical thing that you used in a role playing campaign that you would give advice to people about using. Something that you think would be help them run the game better. Um, visual aids. Uh, you know. Uh, if you have if if you have an image that you that you are sort of basing an idea off of, show them the image. Uh, you know, make it make it live by, by adding a visual component to the game uh, as best you can. Um, give some sort of visual reference to a monster, a battlefield, a tower. So if if you can find an image to show them while you're playing the game, then it it, it makes it live for them. Um, uh, what about you guys, uh, Jameson? Uh, music. Use music, honestly. Like, put together a playlist. Put together a playlist for in town, for in the woods, for in the mines, for when the fight starts, all that kind of thing. As long as it doesn't get too cumbersome and you're not spending 20 minutes between things fiddling with your with the playlist, uh, music really helps set the mood and, and kind of um, it just heightens everything, in my experience. Yeah, there are tons of playlists and soundtracks you can get not just on YouTube and things you can buy, so look it out there. Dennis? Does anyone in the audience do like an RPG for a podcast or anything? No? Oh, well. Okay. What? Yeah. What? It's really hard to do visuals and music on a, like a podcast you have to audio edit later on. Mm-hmm. So I always have to put it in after the fact. We've tried to do visuals, for instance. But the problem is players will point at something <laughs> and then say, I'm going over there to that on the left. We call that podcast gold. This, this is an audio <laughs> podcast. No one knows where that is over there in the ether. So, but in a in a live play session, yes, those things are fantastic. One of the other things I would suggest is an app on your phone for spells. I can't stand playing spellcasters because they're just too damn complicated. There's just so many things to try and keep track of. But an app on your phone makes it a lot easier. Um, I don't have anyone off the top of my head. There's probably about a hundred of them at this point that are free. Yep. Hmm? Yep. 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 Uh, Joe, go. What do you got? Uh, I've got a bunch of aids to help me remember different mechanics because unlike 
Dennis here, my players actually do care about the rules. And so, you know, different mechanics for, uh, for instance, all the different conditions that people can have. I've got a table on there on my DM screen for that. And I've, I've printed, I've set up and printed off specific things that I tend to forget. Um, and so that helps a lot. In addition, I have a whiteboard right next to me um, that I could either take notes on, but I also took popsicle sticks and put magnetic tape on them and wrote each of the characters' names on them, and I used that to keep track of initiative as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I can just shuffle them around on the whiteboard, and, uh, okay, this is where the turn order is. And that actually helps if we, if something comes up and we have to end mid-session, I just put an arrow next to the person whose turn it's supposed to be when we come back next week or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that helps me during the game to keep track of all of that. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Well, I don't do it very often, and maybe maybe this, there's a reason for that. <laughs> but uh, one of my things that I use is when I, I'll give monsters attacks that push and pull, much like in the way of 4E, even in 5E, because 5E actually doesn't have much stuff that moves the players around against their will, mm -hmm. um, because it actually makes the fight more dynamic, and they actually have to think about movement and using movement correctly. Um, if they, you know, get picked up by some sort of weird ape monster and thrown halfway across the map, they actually have to come back and do something. It makes your archers or people who choose to be arranged a little bit more, you know, viable in some cases, unless you're a warlock with Eldritch Blast, in which case, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you just be off the map. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but it gives something fun for it, it, it gives something fun for the melee guys to do. And it makes them I, I have found in my personal experience that it makes people describe what they're doing more when I'm going into better descriptions of what is happening to them and moving them around. They tend to, you know, come back at me with responding with how they describe getting back up there and hitting them because they're mad at me, <laughs> which, you know, get them a little mad at you. <laughs> That's all very good advice. So we've got about 15 mm, ish minutes left. Um, so if anyone has any questions, concerns, come right up, line up very, uh, politely and, uh, Speak your piece. Or, or impolitely. I mean, or, yeah. no, let's, let's do this. Let's get into it. Do you know you are being recorded? <laughs> and judged. I've got a simple question. You brought up uh, your high-level players mm -hmm. partaking in their niche qualities. What happens when you've got that one player who doesn't have a niche? Never quite balanced out, just was that jack-of-all-trades, but isn't really good at any of them. Um, in that instance, I would say that's where you hit the the uh, story button pretty hard, like the character driven. Uh, make whatever it is that their uh, whatever their focus is is based on their backstory. You know the interactions that they've had in the past. Um, uh, bring in bring in the drama in that case. In that case, like it's not so much that they can do a specific thing, it's that they have a specific relationship, or, you know, they've they've earned some bit of favor for, from some god. Uh, you really mine the campaign for instances where their actions have been relevant, and make that sort of the cornerstone of what makes them special. That was the front row people. Yeah. <laughs> it helps a little bit there. Hope that's okay for volume. Question on combat. That's what I usually found can really kind of grind the gears in a game, where you're... A lot of RP, a lot of good story, and then you get to a combat, and two hours goes by, and yep. uh-oh, what happened here? So, two-parter. One in 5th edition has a variable initiative option. That looks pretty interesting, because one thing I like to get away from is where the fighter or martial character goes, oh, I got one hit point. 
But the cleric's going first, uh, before the B-Bank. I'm invulnerable! That's annoying. Other one is just ways to move combat along. You know, things you do to shave off time, mm-hmm. save time, just things to make combat more interesting and more efficient. Be a totalitarian. Love it. <laughs> uh, do not brook any uh, table talk when, well, in, especially in combat. Um, yeah, that's that. That's your moment to to reinforce the fact that you're sitting in the big chair. Uh, and you know, if people give you gruff about it, just say, "Hey, this lasted three hours last time, so we're not doing this again." That's that's my con. That's how uh, my favorite is. Hey, the math says that you guys just win. Like. I can look at the amount of what's on yep. the board. I can yep. look at you guys. None of you are going down. Who wants to speed this along? You send. You spend a spell slot. You're done. Okay, you just, heal that guy. Just let's all coll- collectively describe how you kill this guy. Yep, absolutely. And just like with uh, just like with um, with role playing, you can use rewards and and well, I hate to use the word punishment, but uh, to encourage the type of. Uh, of play that you want, even in combat. So if somebody's taking forever to take their turn, um, on the podcast there was a time where people were taking too long and they started encouraging, you, you get a plus one if you know your action as soon as your turn comes up. You get a p- plus one for being speedy. Mm-hmm. I do a thing called stunting in my home games where if you describe your action really vividly and it's cool, you get a plus one for that. So like I encourage that type of play mm-hmm. uh, and I strongly discourage things like metagaming and things like believing you're invincible because you know the cleric's going to heal you. You know, stuff like that, I actively discourage that, uh, and that might be a conversation that happens out of play. But you can you can you can mold the game to be, uh, mechanically to be the type of game you want it to be too, not just role play wise. So I also analyze things like as it's going on. So if you know in your combat it's taking forever, there's some more forces that are supposed to come in. Eh, maybe they don't come in anymore. Or okay, this thing's got 50 hit points. Eh, maybe it's got 35 now. Or you could even give subtle hints to the players, which I'll do sometimes, where let's say they get a crit 20 or they decapitate a thing. Like, I'm going to roll to see if that uh, character's, if one of the other enemies is still doing okay. They're a little, they're a little shaky on, uh, you know, they look very frightened, and then they'll go, oh, I'm going to intimidate and try and make them run away, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. There are ways to get out of the combat if it's going way too long, uh, whether it's you just adjusting the math or trying to encourage the players to come up with maybe some other ideas that don't involve murdering all of them. If you have murder hobos, it's whatever it is. So. I think my only suggestion on that is um, more of a physical thing, because I, I like the physicality of role-playing. Um, have your players already have cheat sheets of all the things they can do. Don't let them sit there and look, oh, like spell cards and other stuff, you can get them everywhere. It's just go, oh, I know what my spell does. It's written right here. I don't have to go in the book and look it up. Because role-playing books are really just reference books, but even then, that's going to take a minute. But if they have everything they say, like for our Dungeons, uh, our Dragon, uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage game, I have all my uh, Battlemaster stuff written out in front of me. I do not have to look at the book at all during play, because I know everything. I can just read it. All right. Very good question, by the way. Uh, the other thing you can do... I don't know if this might seem work. Oh, no! What you can do is... Have each character set up a default action. If you're having issues with time management and them taking too long, is set up a default action and say, "All right, your time's up. You do your default action. Your turn's over." And so, like, like you're a fighter, you attack. You're a a wizard, you cast fireballs. You know, and just have it like that. Your turn turn is now over. You did that default action. You attack the nearest enemy. 
Okay. All right, we, can take, we can take basically this line of questions and that will be Lightning it round. because we're running out of time. Um, so I'm pretty good at coming up with idea seeds because I do a lot of like the reading and just mm -hmm. imagining things, but I'm not as great as getting from a seed to an actual plot. So do you guys have any tips Ooh. on coming up with what that ending should be? Mm. Um, yeah, um, absolutely. That That's where you lean on your characters and your players. Uh, you, you basically, you like I said, you build it around them and their actions. You let you let you let action follow consequence follow action follow consequence um, and if you you basically string together the the sum total of the consequences of the things that they've done and chosen to do and if an ending doesn't present itself based off that I don't know what to tell you yeah very good advice very good advice go sir uh, so I have an issue that I'm sure a lot of people have had come a little closer to Mike there we go. Yeah, I have an issue that I'm sure a lot of people have had where they just get stuck in that world-building mode. Um, so what are you guys going to do to kind of kick yourself in the butt and get into gear and say, I'm going to stop spending two hours building an Ocean Currents map <laughs> and <laughs> actually plan out my first session for all the players? Think of the disapproving eyes of your players <laughs> if you told them you were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you guys got anything for this one? It's it's a type of procrastination, right? Because the, oh, absolutely, the, yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it is. So recognize it as that, right? Like instead of planning ocean currents, which is amazing, by the way, um, <laughs> you should be in a different line of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if it doesn't, if it, if that doesn't help the story, don't do it or don't do it yet. Wait until it does help the story. Like right. if if you're playing a game at sea, maybe that's relevant. But if you're playing a game set 30 miles inland, like you know, focus on that and do what. Plan the stuff that needs to needs to be relevant to whatever the story is going to be for that session, and then you can take the time into the next session to to do like just the it's the lens of the players, right? If they don't see it, it doesn't matter; it's not there. So absolutely, yeah, good. I look on things like far enough ahead of time. Like I was a psychopath, according to my cohort that's in the back. This made these newspaper articles, and if you look at certain things, and, and then you look up, like, GPS coordinates, it makes, like, an elder sign, and then you have to do this. Oh, I love that like, shit. Oh, yeah, that's what I love art stuff. But I didn't do it the week I needed it. Mm -hmm. I did it way, a little bit, like, every every day, like, a couple minutes here and there, did it weeks, and then, okay, now I have them ready to go. The breadcrumb trail is Don't fantastic. Don't yes. like, make yourself do all that work, like, the day before the session or anything. Okay. Like that. Yeah. Uh, or if you do, do what I do, which is make it up as you go. <laughs> You guys mentioned tools, um, but didn't really go over organization, uh, organizational tools. What do you guys prefer to use to organize your notes, whether Ooh. digital or paper? Uh, I use paper. World Google Docs. Yeah. <laughs> Google, Google Docs. Docs. When I did it, it was Google Docs. Uh, just make notes and cross things out, write things down. Like they always want to know every NPC's name, and I don't like just rando on the street. Like, hey, what's this person's name? Goddamn. Uh, have a list of names, and then I have to write it down because I will forget. <laughs> oh yeah. It didn't matter. So uh, yeah, so I, I always just use paper because it's easiest to just drop things. Like I don't have the space where I'm sitting to have like computer and everything else up plus it'll be too distracting anyway so basic notepad with piece of yep. I, I do 90% of it in my head it's oh. terrible <laughs> I, I do I do Google Docs just because uh, yeah, I can get access to it nearly anywhere there's a computer. So I can always, if I'm at work, I can do work on it if i got to spare a few minutes or I'm at home. So I, that's I, how I, I was a Sheets guy because you can do uh, HP and uh, initiatives on it too. Yes, that too. 
All right, last question. All right, so there was a discussion about uh, beginning, middle, and end in running a campaign. We all know we get busy. Sometimes you lose players. Sometimes you lose momentum. What happens when your ending is coming sooner, when you have to throw your middle, your beginning, middle, end straight out? Uh, I know there's a player conversation involved, mm. but what is a GM are you working with? Mm. This might be kill your darlings time for, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you just basically take you take a good hard look at the story about where all your characters are in, in their in their track of the hero's journey, uh, and you know throw something together, make make something that makes sense for what's happening right now, uh, and and try and make it as satisfying as you possibly can. Just like I said, by looking at where your characters are in their arc and what what would be a good ending if this has to be the end, right? I mean, it doesn't always have to be an apocalyptic scenario. Your characters can just walk, like, have completed some grand arc and then walk off into the sunset. Yep, make a donut rock. shop. Yeah, yeah, they're rocking and rolling. Yeah. It's, <laughs> fine if they, it's fine if no one just dies forever, you know? Yeah. Uh, I can already tell you, in a signing game that I'm, a uh, short-term signing game, I've already thrown off half my ending in my middle to change what the pieces are doing so that I can, so I can manage the situation with, and give a better ending than I already had originally planned because I knew the, t- the timing of everything, how it would all work out. You're so welcome. thank you very much for that question. And you, oh, actually, before we go, uh, any more uh, suggestions on that? You can always ex machina. <laughs> That's always fair. This was like, your princess is in another castle or something like that. If Whoa. you're not ready for it to end, you don't have to make the end. You can always push it along to another way. You know, like somebody comes and shows up, like make up an NPC that shows up to save the party. And then, oh, that delays the end of the game a little bit. You can do it however you want. It's really whatever you want to do. That's the, that's the fun thing about RPGs. If you don't want it to end, eh, you don't technically have to have it end. To be continued next season yeah, when everybody right. gets back at that's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. Cool. Thanks, guys. Very cool. Very good question. All right. We are we are just about to wrap it up, so I'm going to let every these guys tell about all the other all panels that they are currently doing at DragonCon, so you can look them up, and where you can find them online. So, Joe, on the end? Uh, my panel is the very next block, next door in G6. It's a Pokemon Go tournament. Ooh. Assuming these self-signal... <laughs> or else it'll just be a discussion with a bunch of fans. You, you can hit the free Wi-Fi in there. I, I already checked it. Uh, well, we don't have Wi-Fi. Oh, shit, hard. that's right. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the next panel I have is in this freezing cold room at 4 p.m. on uh, keeping your voice ready. Uh, but the big panel we have tonight, 10 p.m. in the Crystal Ballroom, is our live D&D session for botched D&D podcast. It's hilarious. Come on out. You have to be 21 because we will be drinking with all of you. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be Space Vikings. And uh, it's going to be crazy time. I kind of want to be there. I want to be there now. <laughs> Space Vikings. Uh, so we're, we're doing a live d game as well for Dungeons and Randomness. We're going to be playing at 8.30 tonight in the other hotel. Give me a moment. <laughs> the Westin, thank you. Uh, yeah. um, I have one more panel at uh, 4.30 uh, in the room next door tomorrow. We're going to talk about how to take your tabletop role-playing game and put it on the internet. That's basically what we're going to be doing. Great digital media for your tabletop game. Um, you can also find me at BioImportance on Twitter. Uh, I have nothing else at DragonCon. Uh, you can find me at Divis Melkov on Twitter. Uh, I also uh, have my own RPG entertainment studio called Simulacra Studios. Uh, we're Simulacra TV on Twitch. Um, starting up my vampire game again this week. Uh, and look, I've got a bunch more stuff in the pipeline for that, so check that out. 
I'm impossible to find. I won't be a dragon con much longer. <laughs> so, if you, so if anyone wants to say how hilarious I am or how much you hate me, tell Matt. Yeah, tell me. Yep. Um, all right, uh, guys. Uh, in, anything else? We're going to do the raffle if there's nothing else. Oh, did you find out the time for your next panel? Yeah, 8.30 at the Westin is going to be the live game, and I'm also going to be doing the digital media one. Uh, actually, yeah, so, we're going to so, be, be on that together. It'll be a great time. We're just going to hang uh, out a bunch. I want to say, before I go to the raffle, thank you very much, guys. Uh, make sure you go on the app and rate rate us. And on top of that, make sure you are tell what you liked or what you didn't like. Why sort of justify your rating? Because they really do look at that in metrics. That's how we get we come back or we get a bigger room or whatnot. So thank you guys very much again for coming out. And I'm going to do the raffle. I forgot to end the show properly. Um, damn it! Sorry. <laughs> uh, from here, everyone here, Polynesian and guests, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice. Hello, everyone. Just wanted to let you all know, if you want to email us, you can at polyhesionpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to get in contact with us via Twitter, you can contact us at polyhedroncast. And if you want to contact me, I am at bioimportance. If you want to get in contact with me directly, I'm at divismallcav. And I'm a hermit, so just email the show, please. Also, in addition, if you really like the show and you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Give us a buck a month. You get a lot more content, and it'll really help us out. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.